Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, all the way through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into, into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We know because it's your word to us, because you have spoken to us, that there is something in there for us. So would you show us? by your grace, for your glory, for our good. Would you not let us leave today without taking something from your word that we can hold on to dearly and hold on to forever. We know that you can do this and we know that you will do this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't like to yell at little kids. But when I was a wee little tot about... 10 or 11 or 15. Um, My dad was the coach of my little brother's soccer team, and I think that he just felt bad for me because I had to go to all the soccer tournaments with them, and we were in the van with a bunch of kids, and it was just crazy. So he said, hey, Jake, uh, instead of sitting on the bench, would you like to be the assistant coach? I was like, okay. Yeah, I think I'd like that. Um, So began my yelling at kids. I still didn't like it. but I, I, I remember, like, I would see my dad standing on the sidelines, so I was like, okay, i got to stand like him. I'm standing here. And when he would say something, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to remember that so that I know what to say next time. And then, you know, I'd yell things like, run there, pass there. Chris, what are you, don't do that out there. What are you doing? Um, but one game sticks out to me just out of all of them um, in, in, in my career of assistant coaching um, because my brother's team was losing 2-0 to zero in the state championship game. They were going into halftime down to two goals. All these guys look so defeated and sad, and I don't like to yell at little kids, but I just couldn't let them go into that next half without any hope. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to go yell at them, um, and maybe that'll work. Um, So uh, I brought them all in close, and I stood there like a man amongst boys. And I said... All right, guys, this is it. And I, for some reason, I quoted Abraham Lincoln. But I said, Abraham Lincoln once said, 
In the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. So let's go get some life. Let's go. And I turned around and I started running out on the field like Braveheart, you know, leading the charge. Um, but nobody came with me. So it was just me running out onto the field. And um, my AC history assistant coaching. Um, so, so I came back. The guys are just, you know, still sad and downtrodden. And um, so I was like, all right, I got to lift my men up. Uh, What's wrong with you guys? Like, why didn't you come with me? It was really mean. Um, but one of the kids, he, he stood up. He was in kind of the back of the group. He stood up, and all the other kids looked like they like, looked real slow at him, um, like he was about to say this most profound thing. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, who's Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> um, you and I are just like a little soccer team that are down two points going into halftime. And what I mean by that is, is at times, we're overwhelmed with the amount of work that we have. We're barely able to come up for air as a parent. We didn't sleep well last night because of our financial stress. We dread going home because we have to face our spouse again and talk about that issue. Or we keep getting trapped in the same sin over and over and over again. Life is really just a whole lot of darkness. Life feels like halftime down two points. You and I need hope. We're on the floor of the locker room, gasping for air, down these two points, thinking we're surely not going to make it. We need hope. We search for it. Um, we try to find it in different things and, and by different means, um, but it, re- it never remains. Um, no matter how desperate we are, uh, like it, always, it always leaves us. Whatever hope we try to come up with, whatever thing we try to manufacture, it always leaves us. Uh, because in life, we're either currently in a time of darkness, or we are going to be in a time of darkness, or we are just now out of a time of darkness. Like That's just the scope of life. Like It's going to happen. Darkness will come. But here's the good news. God gives hope. In the midst of the darkness of our lives and our world, God reaches out as light and gives us a new hope. What we're going to see through Isaiah 9 is that God gives hope to you and to I in the midst of deep darkness in two ways. The first is that God defeats our oppressor, and then God gives us a child. God defeats our oppressor in that every ploy of the enemy that leads us to this darkness, God is going to destroy it. And then uh, God gives us a child who will grow into a king who will reign supreme over us. And that kingdom will be characterized by nothing but righteousness and justice and peace forever. So uh, let's take a look at the first one. If you look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, and then you'll skip a line, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. What is this darkness going on? Like, What is this darkness describing? Well, at the time, uh, Israel was being held captive by a brutal king uh, who made God's people into slaves. Like, it's just kind of uh, the history of God's people, unfortunately. like A lot of people like to make them slaves. Uh, but there was corruption, murder, cursing God, and, and whenever people like, wanted to find out something, they went to mediums, they went to cults. Um, to try to figure it out. And verse 1 actually speaks about some of these places as the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali um, and then Galilee. 
Um, at this point, Israel has not yet completely fallen, but an even more brutal army outside, completely outside of the one that is currently holding them in as slaves, uh, they are, they're coming to destroy them. And the text literally describes the army coming across the land as roaring like lions and roaring like the sea. So just imagine, like this is your nation, this is your entire nation, it's only being held on by a thread, and here comes a terrifying powerhouse. Darkness. At this point, halftime's long gone. The game's almost over at this point. But look at what God does in verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors. So these things, the yoke, the staff, and the rod, they're all, they're all symbols of slavery. They're all symbols of, of oppressive, domineering, just ugly slavery that God's people are under. And God sees this. God sees his people under this slavery, being broken down. And so he's like, all right. Look at the rest of verse 4. So the, the yoke, the staff, the rod, you, God, have broken as on the day of Midian. All the ways that the enemy kept Israel under their thumbs, all of the oppressive tools of domineering, inhumane slavery, God has broken them. They no longer have power or dominion over God's people. And in response, God's people do something kind of weird. Uh, Look at verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That sounds kind of weird, right? I mean, they're they're burning boots and stuff. Um, But this was actually customary in the time, customary for the victorious party to gather up all the boots, the clothes um, of the enemy, all of their stuff um, that was all covered in blood, and they would burn it as an offering, um, as a sacrifice to God, saying, thank you for the victory. Um, And Ezekiel 39, verse 9, says it this way. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires, and here's the spoil that we were just talking about, and make fires of the weapons and burn them, Shields and bucklers, bow and arrows, clubs and spears, and they will make fires of them for seven years so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any of the forests, for they will make their fires of the weapons. They will seize the spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. In this story, like it took seven years for God's people to burn all of that stuff. Like That's a massive army. And so this whole time, like as they're burning this, it's just a reminder. Like, yeah, man, God was victorious. God God defeated our oppressor. And so this exact same thing happened to a man named Gideon. Um, He fought against the nation of Midian, which I think is kind of cool. Gideon fought Midian. Might just be me. I thought that was cool. But like this story is crazy. So uh, Gideon's the leader of Israel's army, and they're up against just a whole bunch of brutal warriors from Midian. Um, And the Midianite army consisted of about 135,000 soldiers, which doesn't sound so bad, but Gideon's army only had 32,000. So Gideon's planning his tactics. He's probably sitting there like, (laughs) what do I do? (laughs) Because 135,000... Um, but get this, God says to Gideon, hey man, uh, 32,000 is too many. We're going we're gonna to whittle that down a little bit. 
I, I don't, like, I'm not Gideon. I was not Gideon. But could you imagine being Gideon in that moment? Like, what? We already don't have enough. You're taking away more. Um, and then God actually does this a few more times until Gideon only has 300 men to fight with. 300 against 135,000. I wasn't an adding major, but that sounds like a really, a really big discrepancy. And then, so not only that, and then God told them to leave their weapons behind and take nothing but torches, jars, and trumpets. And, like, I, I get torches and kind of the trumpets. Like, you could probably scare somebody with a trumpet, I guess. But, like, what am I supposed to do with a jar? You know, like, hey, man, you, you can go make some jam if you want to. You can uh, catch a firefly. You can put little trinkets in there and put it on your shelf. Um, like, if you and I are looking at this scene about to unfold on the screen, like at the movies, like we are the people like, don't do it. Don't go into that battle. That's going to be really bad for you. But in the middle of the night, Gideon and his 300 men go into the camp of the Midianites very quietly, and they stand there before the sleeping and snoring burly men. And all at once, they break their jars, blow their trumpets, and they hold their torches just and it, they were actually holding the jars over the torches so that it wouldn't be as bright. And when they broke the torches, the torches got even, or broke the jars, the torches got even brighter. Um, and what it did was it scared the entire Midianite army, and they're just all in this flurry running around, and, and they didn't know who they were trying to kill, so they started killing each other. Because they thought, oh, well, maybe you're the enemy, and they killed. And get this, I don't know how this works, but every one of them died. Like, I don't, what about the last guy? How did he die? You know, I don't get that. But it, it happened. God defeats our oppressor. God defeats our oppressor. When you and I stand yet again in the midst of darkness, before the army of our enemy, there is a light that shines on us. And it's that God is the one who defeats the enemy. Not you, not me. Thank God. It was not dependent upon Gideon or his men's strength or courage or fighting ability, and it's not dependent upon our strength or courage or fighting ability. It is only God who does it. So where in life do you think that you need to win for yourself? In what ways can you rest today in the fact that God fights for you? So God gives us hope by defeating our oppressor, but he also gives us hope by giving us a child. If you look at uh, verse 6, but actually just this whole passage um, is actually a royal birth announcement um, that follows the same pattern as every other royal birth announcement in the Bible, where a, and this is the pattern, a difficult situation is described, the birth is announced, the name is declared, and an explanation of the role of the child is given. For instance, just take a look at Genesis 16 with me. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Difficult situation described. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude." And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. The birth is announced. You shall call his name Ishmael. The name is declared because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And then we begin the, the explanation of the role of this child. 
He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And so he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So in our passage, we already know the current situation. It's darkness. There's corruption. There's murder. There's dishonesty. It's just bad. It's dark. It's the land of Galilee. It's just awful. Um, And then we see the birth announcement in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And then we'll see the name declared, uh, if you just keep going. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Um, So just literally translated what Wonderful Counselor is, is the planner of wonders. So it's not necessarily like a good advice giver, although yes. um, But one who creates miracles unto a larger plan. And then mighty God is the next one. This just means a warrior. Um, and it's just it's interesting that a few people have, um, have names throughout the Bible, like Isaiah, which means uh, God is salvation. However, but nobody ever in the Bible, not Abram, not Moses, nobody has God's name except for the Son. Then everlasting Father, which is pretty self-explanatory. And then Prince of Peace. So every ruler ever wanted this title as their own. Like they wanted to be the, yeah, when I ruled, no wars, nothing. Like nothing went wrong. Um, But there was always something like nobody could ever call themselves that. Uh, And then in verse 7, we'll see the explanation of the role of this child. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, From this time forth and forevermore, these attributes will characterize his kingdom forever. God gives hope to his people by giving them this royal birth announcement that lets everyone know, hey, hope is coming. We have a hope. Um, About three years ago now, uh, I was in a rollover accident where I flipped my van about three or four times. And I remember the, the whole thing going by like in slow motion, but also really fast motion all at the same time. Um, but I remember I was holding the wheel, and I was just thinking, like, all right, like this is it. Here I go. Like, I'm, I'm going to die. Um, but the van landed upright on the other side of the road in the ditch, um, and I'm just still clen- clenching the wheel, and I open my eyes, and I see blood down my hands, and I know that I have pain in my neck and in my head. Um, and I reach up to turn the van off. I'm just shaking uncontrollably, um, and I had, I had no cell service. All of my like, roofing tools were just strewn throughout the road and in the ditches everywhere, um, and then cars were passing me left and right. I don't know if they just missed the accident or if they were just like, yep, not stopping for that. Um, but my, my heart started to race, and like, I just went deeper and deeper into this panic, and I remember sitting there like, not being able to do anything because I didn't know. I mean, it, there's no cell service. What am I supposed to do? Um, and I managed actually to get just a few text messages out to just tell my parents what was going on. Um, but around this time, like a guy who's passing by, he, I think he just looked over and he saw the blood on my neck and my hands and he just stops the, his truck and he says, hey, I'm calling 911. Don't move. And I was like, okay, okay. I'm trying to find cell service though. And um, you know, I was like, I gotta call my dad. So I end up getting a hold of him. I'm standing like at the top of the road, um, and I'm and I'm talking to my dad, and I'm like, Dad, I'm I'm so sorry, I wrecked the van. Um, and of course, he says, Jake, don't worry about the van. Like, are you okay? And I was like, I, I think I'm okay. Um, and he said, We're on the way, son. 
I sat down. My heart stopped beating way crazy fast. That announcement from my dad, knowing that they were coming, there was nothing to panic about anymore. I was given hope. And this is exactly what God gives you and I with the announcement of this birth. God knows and can see the darkness that you and I are in and in a very real way with this announcement says, we're on our way. God gives us hope by defeating our oppressor and God gives us hope by giving us a child. God's light breaks into the darkness and shines through to us. But it has to come from outside of us. Because you and I, unfortunately, we choose our own darkness. Sometimes it's brought on by other people's sin, but most of the time we choose our own. We are sinful people, and so any hope must come from the outside of us. But this is the best part of all of it. Just look at the last line of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Not you, not me, thank God. So what does this hope do for us? Just look at verse 3. Because of God's work, the nation will be multiplied. Our joy will be increased. We will rejoice before God as with joy before the harvest, as we are glad when we divide the spoil. So God does all of the work, comes himself as light. We do nothing and we get joy. Again, I'm not an adding major, but that sounds awesome. And, and it's not just any joy. Like I love the way that they describe it as with joy before the harvest. So it's joy of an unusually massive harvest. You just walk out and you see crops upon crops of everything you need and, and then some. And then as we are glad when we divide the spoil, joy is in the hordes of goods that the soldiers coming home after being victorious are bringing home for you and your families and everybody to enjoy together. Just massive amounts of joy. Because of God's work, the burning of the war spoil won't last for seven years. Our victory lasts forever. How is this true? How do we know? Well, uh, Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So what is that? What is in that presence? What is at the right hand of God? Just look at Mark 16, verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And then this one, John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. The people who walked in darkness have seen Jesus. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has Jesus shown. Jesus is the joy and the light. Jesus is our joy and our light. 
Jesus came in power teaching and performing signs and wonders, beginning right in the dark region of Galilee. In this dark place, Jesus revealed himself for the first time as a light shining in a dark place. And then afterward, he just pours out a river of miracles onto Galilee. Uh, The beginning of just this unquenchable light of Jesus radiating out into Satan's dark world. He starts right in the darkest place. The death and resurrection of Christ has defeated Satan's seemingly unbreakable yoke of sin and slavery and death. Satan turned his evil weapon of death against Jesus and ended up, his whole kingdom fell apart, just like the Midianites. And we who were enslaved by Satan have been released to serve God in joy. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who works signs and wonders, literally miracles on our behalf. Jesus is the mighty God, the warrior who will slay all of his enemies with a sword. Jesus is the eternal father as in every moment of affection where he addresses his people as son or daughter. Jesus is the prince of peace in that he gives us eternal peace with God by his death on the cross because he paid a price that you and I could never pay to take away the wrath of God that was on us. And the best part of all, the Lord of hosts did this. We were down two to zero at halftime, and Jesus stepped in and won the game for us. Game's over, but he won it. We did nothing. And I I think it's really cool. In another royal birth announcement, uh, Jesus has come. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In faith, believe that the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death on your behalf is total and complete. There's nothing to work for. He did it. We didn't bring anything to the table except our need for it. We're slaves in the need of saving. We're on the sidelines of the game, not able to do anything. But let's be, let's be realistic. Like Even if we believe, even if today is the very first time that you believe, darkness doesn't just go away. Like There is still darkness. You will still sin. People will still sin against you. Our sin just brings darkness, even though we have seen a great light, even though the light has shone on us. But one day, if we trust in Jesus, we will walk in the kingdom of light and of justice, and of righteousness forever alongside the very one who laid down his life for us to see it. Jesus walked in darkness for us that we may see light. This Christmas, that is our hope. But understand this. There are only two ways. Either Jesus is 
your light and hope and joy, and one day we will see it fully, or we continue in a land of deep darkness and we see that fully. We are either on the side of the conquering king, where there will be no end to our peace, or we are on the side of the defeated oppressor who is broken and dragging people down to hell with them. Do you believe in Jesus? If you question it, if you're sitting there and you're a little bit worried, you're like, man, I, I think I do. Do I really? Be encouraged. Like dead people don't think that way. A slave of Satan does not have any concern about their relationship with Jesus. Believe today. <clears throat> and for the first Sunday of the Advent season, of the, of the coming King, we're going to celebrate together as a body, together as a family, but just picture, picture the feast of heaven where there is unspeakable, immeasurable oceans of joy. If this Jesus is yours, you are welcome to celebrate, uh, but if this Jesus is not yours, uh, if you're in the midst of a deep, deep darkness, I ask that you remain in your seat currently, um, but this joy is for you. As you sit, do business, do work with the Father. Ask Him for that light. There's hope today because of Jesus. If you turn today, if you forsake yourself today, if you believe today. <clears throat> so uh, here in a second, we're going to grab the elements and we'll bring them back to our seat and we'll take them together um, here in a minute. But here's our prayer. Father, thank you for giving me hope in Jesus and continue to give me even more in Jesus. No matter where you and I are in our darkness, if we are believers in Jesus, we will always and forever have a hope light and a joy that one day will come to fullness right before our eyes. All because of Jesus. All because God defeated our oppressor. All because God gave us a child. And all because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you just like a child. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing story. What an amazing royal birth announcement that in the middle of whatever we have going on, because a lot of life is just utter darkness, you don't leave us there. You came to find us. Would you always remind us of that hope? Would you always remind us that we have 
hope in the middle of whatever it is we're facing, whatever it is we are going through. We have hope, and it's all because of Jesus. Would you give us your grace and your mercy and your peace and your righteousness? And we ask these things forevermore, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.